You're listening to the King's Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. The title of my message this morning is Getting Our Minds to Agree with God. Getting Our Minds in Agreement with God. You know, the other day I was driving my, mini, my minivan down the road. That's right. I drive a minivan, and I'm proud of it. Come on, somebody. And uh, any minivanners in the house? Come on, let me see those minivan hands right there. Some of you are like, I see that. I see that. Don't we, come on. Be proud and loud about the minivan. Let's go. But I'm driving my minivan down the road on H1, and of course, my, I'm telling you, my minivan starts drifting right, left, all over the place. My wheels start shaking like this. I come to a stop, and my car is shaking and shaking. So I take it to the mechanic, and they do an assessment of my car. They look at all these points, and they're, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then they tell me, hey, your car is out of alignment. Now, you know, I, I get this revelation of my car being out of alignment and what the experience that I had driving my car down the road. And can I tell you, it felt so familiar a lot of times with my spiritual life, this parallel where sometimes I feel in my spiritual life I'm drifting or there's a lot of shaking going on because I'm out of alignment. I'm out of alignment with God's word. I'm out of alignment with God's will. But can I tell you the peace, the joy, the strength that comes when our life is in alignment with God. When our life is in alignment with God's word and God's will. And I truly believe that where the alignment starts, just as that mechanic had to do an assessment with my car, in the same way where I believe that this alignment takes place is with our mind. It starts with your mind. Now, as we look at this passage in the book of Romans, we see a very interesting statement. Paul the Apostle points out a mindset that is very destructive to the destiny and the purposes of God, of, of God on your life. And it's a mindset called being carnally minded. What does it mean to be carnally minded? The very definition of a carnal mind is a mind governed by the desires of the flesh. That means this, that the flesh always wins out. That the lust for the things of this world become your primary pursuit in life. I'm going to pursue this, and I'm going to pursue that desire. I'm going to pursue that lustful thought, and it wins out. That becomes your primary focus on life. But can I tell you, what God desires is for his word and his will to become your primary focus of your life. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But what we see clearly in 1 John chapter 2, turn with me there, 1 John chapter 2. And uh, let me just kind of give you a warning. we got a lot of word to cover this morning. As you know, that's kind of, that's how we do it in this house. Amen. We love the word of God. The word of God transforms us. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, I want you to look at this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That really is the very definition of what it means to be carnally minded. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we see one of the keys is to do the will of God. What does that mean, Pastor? To do what God speaks to you to do in your time of prayer. See, it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to listen and obey. To actually live a life that is in alignment with the word of God. However, one of the greatest battles that we face is something called a divided mind. The divided mind is a mind that is uncertain concerning that which you have access to. We see very clearly probably one of the greatest illustrations in the scripture of what a divided mind looks like is in the days of Elijah. The days of Elijah, the people of God, the children of Israel, who were called by God, had a difficulty because they were divided in heart. They were divided in mind. As a matter of fact, there's this moment where Elijah is standing before the prophets of Baal and the children of Israel and saying, hey, are you going to worship Baal or are you going to worship God? And their response to Elijah was, we're undecided. We're undecided. Meaning that we want one foot in the world and we want one foot in God. A divided mind. A divided heart. I believe that many of us, we were living in this tension where we're living a life divided. We have a divided mind concerning relationships. We have a divided mind concerning the word of God. Many times we believe certain things but not believe other things. We believe God can save, but we don't necessarily believe God can heal. We believe in holiness or we believe in grace. A divided mind. But I believe that what God desires for us is to live a life whole, to live a life healed. See, the devil preys on a divided or an undecided mind. So God wants to restore to us a whole mind, a healed mind. See, Proverbs 23, 7 points out something very, very important for us. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks, as a woman thinks, <laughs> 2023, <clears throat> as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. I want you to hear that again. As a person thinks in their heart, so they are. What fills your mind will consume your life. Can I say that one more time? I want you to write that down. What fills your mind will consume your life. What are you filling your mind with? I look around me and I, there's certain things that just constantly fill my mind. And this is the word. Can I tell you probably the greatest battle that I think all of us face is that we become so desensitized that we don't even know when we're getting defiled. Like, things just don't bother us anymore, seeing certain pictures and hearing certain things and taking part in certain things. We become so desensitized to those things that we don't even recognize when we're getting defiled by the enemy. It's like we've been living in a dump truck for so long, we're already used to the trash. So when there's more trash just thrown off, we're like, oh, this is the environment I just live in. Friends, we're called to have a pure mind, a pure heart. 
We're called to live whole and to live healed. And you may say, well, pastor, what, what does your thinking have to do with coming into agreement with God? Everything. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Turn with me there. Amos chapter 3, verse 3, or even mark this in your notes. Amos 3, 3. Very unusual scripture. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? <laughs> can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Man, can, I, my wife and I, we go to the mall. Any married couples here? Yeah, you, you like going to the mall with your wife? See, I have a problem. My wife loves to hold hands. She's, well, I like holding hands with her. She's like the most beautiful woman in the world. So it's like, this is great. <laughs> this is awesome. But I, I like holding my hands, my, my wife's hand when we're walking through the mall. But we have a problem because my interest is very different than my wife's interest. And she takes me to places that I would typically not go. Like, why are we in the dress aisle? There ain't nothing here that fits me, right? The other day, my wife wanted to go to Zara. And I'm like, look at me. There is nothing in Zara that fits this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? There is nothing in Zara that fits this. Why, why do you want to even drag me into this place? That's why I like Lululemon. Everybody say, Pastor, why do you wear Lululemon? Because it stretches. Like this. It's the stretchy pants, right? It's the stretchy pants. But we, we, have, we, we, we understand the tension that exists in walking together because there's two different minds. So that means if I'm going to walk together with my wife, there has to be a yieldedness or a submission. Not necessary, and this is, I think, where people get agreement wrong. They think that you have to agree with everything God does. Mm -mm, you're not going to agree with everything God does. But to walk in agreement with him means there are going to be moments where you have to submit. Moments where you have to yield. That's true agreement. So it's going to be impossible for us to walk in complete agreement with God unless on our part... We yield. They said, well, pastor, why doesn't God yield? <laughs> you don't want him to change his mind. Because his will is perfect. Come on. Every, the Bible says that every thought, Jeremiah 29, 11, that every thought God has for you. It's not every plan that he has for you. The original language is actually the word thought. That every thought that God thinks towards you is a thought to help you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. Can I tell you, not every thought concerning myself is a good thought. And there are times where my own thoughts lead me to a place of destruction. The Bible says of concerning God and his nature and his character that every good and perfect gift comes from him. If I want anybody leading and guiding my life, it's God. If there's anyone that I'm going to come into agreement with, it's God. But how can two people walk together without agreeing? Can I tell you, a yielded and submitted life to the Lord is a blessed life. So this morning, very quickly, rapid fire, just as I had to take my car into the mechanic and they went through all the checkpoints and found the source of what the problem was, and they had to make the adjustments accordingly, this morning, I want to give you six adjustments in your life, six adjustments to getting your mind in agreement with Christ. Are you guys ready? Six adjustments to getting our mind in agreement with Christ. Number one, 
the power of repentance. In Acts chapter 8, verse 22, and I want us to look at this passage just for a brief moment. In Acts chapter 8, verse 22, there's a man, we see a story of a man named Simon Magus. Now, Simon Magus was a sorcerer. And he got radically saved under Philip the Evangelist's ministry. And he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He got baptized in water. I mean, he would today, for all intents and purposes, he would be considered a believer. He would be considered a Christian. Everybody with me? The problem was is that Simon Magus had deception in his life. He was deceived in certain areas of his life. He had not completely let go of certain ways of thinking and certain deceptions in his life. So he was still operating in sorcery. Even though he loved Jesus, there was still a part of his thinking that had not been completely and totally redeemed. Come on, somebody. And so there was some deception in his life. So all of a sudden, Peter comes to lay hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he sees people begin to speak in tongues. And he's impressed by this. So he comes up to Peter and goes, hey, how much would it cost for me to be able to do that? And I want you to hear Peter's response. First of all, he says, you can take you and your money can go to hell. That's actually exactly what he said. You can take your money and you can go to hell. I don't recommend saying that to people. I'm just saying that's what Peter said. But this is how Peter dealt with the deception in Simon's life. Friends, let me tell you, throughout life, we're all going to battle deception. We're constantly fighting against the lies of the enemy. Satan himself attempted to deceive Christ. But how did Christ deal with the deception of the enemy, with the lies of the enemy, with the temptation of the enemy? Peter helped Simon deal with the deception in his life. You know how he does this? He says, Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. What was the key ingredient that Peter gave Simon Magus? Repent. Peter says, Simon, I need you to repent. Metanoeo is the Greek word there for the word repent, and it means to change one's mind, to change one's view concerning it. It actually means to completely and totally abhor sin. That means that you have to see sin from a specific perspective to say, hey, this will kill me. This will mess me up. This will destroy me. Until you can get the proper perspective of sin, you'll never have a proper perspective of God. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that sin's not a big deal. But until you can get a proper perspective of sin and the destruction that sin has in your life, you'll never abhor it. You'll treat it like a mistake or you'll treat it like, oh, it's just, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. The reason God hates sin is because he loves you. And he knows what sin does to your mind and to your heart. So the only way that we can change our view is to change our mind. Friends, we've got to have a proper mindset concerning sin. And we have to have a proper mindset concerning God. 
He's not somebody that helps you. He's someone that saves you. I'm going to just say, I'm going to say that. He's not just someone that helps you. He's someone that saves you. Did you know you can't truly be saved unless you first acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? I know that's very controversial. Oh, pastor, you know, I, I don't, I'm, that's so negative, you know, admitting that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But you see, the Bible says that your attempt to gain salvation by your own righteousness in the eyes of Christ is like filthy rags. And that those who obtain righteousness or attempt to obtain righteousness without Christ are doing it in their own strength, in their own efforts. And it's, it's a boasting, it's a pride that exists in our life. And so there has to be an acknowledgement of not just sin, but our need for a Savior. Repentance is key. And I know today in our modern day Christianity, there's this idea, this philosophy, I can't even call it a theology because it's so skewed and so, so out of the box of, of true reality of, of Christ. It says, oh, well, you don't need to repent anymore. You said a salvation prayer and that's the only time you need to repent. No, it's not because we see very clearly in James chapter 5, what does it say? Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession is the fruit of repentance. The word of God says, confess your sins and he's faithful and just will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Confession is the fruit of a heart of repentance. It washes you, it cleanses you, it changes your mind concerning things. Do I say the power of repentance? But secondly, the process of renewal. The second adjustment is the process of renewal. Many of you know this passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now catch this. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what does he say? There is a process, an essential process to renewing your mind. That word renewing in the Greek means this, to completely change for the better an ongoing process and action to completely repair or to, you ready for this, to renovate. I remember I, I, went, to, I went to school in, in Springfield, Missouri, and that, that place is like tornado town. And I remember there's this one city that we went through that got, had gotten hit by a tornado. And I mean, it, it, it looked like chaos. It was, it was crazy, pandemonium. It was horrible. And years later, we went back to that same town, and guess what? Everything was brand new. They had renovated. They had completely built up something new. To renew your mind is a process every single day of renovating your mind. When you wake up tomorrow morning, there's a renovation that needs to take place. Come on, anybody here ever renovate your house? You had to put new beams and new walls and new furniture. That's what it actually means to refurnish your house every single day. The process of renewal. To renew your mind. Now, you know what's amazing, though? As, as an underlining definition, we see something awesome about this Greek word and the understanding of this word renewing. It suggests a complete healing of one's mind. 
Many of us have undergone trauma, pain, things that have been spoken over us, things that have been declared to us and over our lives. And we can live life with this trauma and this pain. And sometimes you feel hopeless because sometimes you're like, there's no possible way I will ever be healed from this. It's unimaginable. Some of the things, being a pastor, I've been a pastor now for 22 years. Some of the stories I've heard, some of the things that I've had to walk with people through, and it is it's astonishing to me how some people can still walk and still live with the trauma that they've experienced in life. And you would even think to yourself, man, there's no possible way that I'll ever be free of this. There's no possible way that I can, I can live in a life of freedom and hope. But can I tell you that a part of seeing our minds renewed means that God can completely and totally heal you. Do you know what that word means? It means that there's no longer residue from the past that you can be completely healed. How many of you say, Pastor, I, I need my mind to be completely healed? Come on. Come on, can I tell you, it's available to you. The third adjustment that we see is the washing of the word. Oh, I love this one. The washing of the word. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 says, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Can I tell you, when you get into, when you get into scripture, yes, you're knowing God. And every time you read the Bible, can I tell you, you're getting a revelation of the nature and the character of God. But can I also tell you the power of the word of God, that every time you read scripture, every time you read the word of God, it is like washing your mind and cleansing your mind with fresh water. Come on, somebody. You know, the scientists believe that there, every time you see something or experience something, that there's a fluid in your brain. And that you experience a trauma or you experience something in life that's radical or something that's even new. And all of a sudden these grooves, it makes channels in your brain, these grooves in your brain. And every time you re-experience something or see something again, it's like water washes over, brain fluid washes over those channels and reminds you. That's why we, can, we can't remember somebody's name after meeting them for five minutes. Like five minutes later, we're like, what was your name again? But we can remember something that traumatic that happened to us years and years and years before. There are these grooves, these channels, these markers in our mind. Hmm. But this is what I believe. Is that every time we read the word of God. Oh, pastor, this is so cliche. Stop, stop, stop. Please don't be one of those that underestimate the power of the word of God. That every time you read the word of God. It is like a washing over your mind. It's cleansing your mind. It's more than just knowing God. It's cleansing you. So we got to get into the word. We need a life in the word. Constantly washing our mind. But fourthly, are you ready for this one? This one's my favorite one. All of you are going to love this one. You're going you're gonna to put some, some uh, stars around this one. And it, this is, this is going to be your favorite. You ready? Number four, discipline your body. It's the best. It's the best. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Turn with me there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Now, I know this isn't a popular topic, 
even in the church world, every time we hear the word discipline, we're like, oh, man, not that word again. Why can't we just have grace, grace, pastor, grace, grace? But I want you to hear this. This is, this is a powerful tool. Discipline is a powerful tool for victory in your life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives inside of me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live unto the Son of God. That is a disciplined life that is saying, this body that I have is dedicated to Christ. This mind that I have is dedicated to Christ. And one of the things that we have to keep in perspective in everything that we do is we have to understand something. That your imagination is powerful. As a matter of fact, your imagination is the seedbed of your life. It's the seedbed of your thought life. And I want you to hear this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. That means exercising discipline. Every thought, bringing into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. That word imagination means thought, place of reasoning. It's the place where you make decisions. That's what it actually means in its original language. Can I tell you something? The devil wants your imagination. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think you understand me. The devil wants your imagination because your imagination is the seedbed of your faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Every time you hear the word of God, it's like a seed into your imagination. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So this is what's amazing. You all of a sudden, you hear the word of God and what God is capable of, that he is able to do. Our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. So we hear the word of God, and it's like a seed being planted into the seedbed of our imagination, which makes us believe beyond what we currently see, the limitations of our current experience and our current thinking and understanding. Come on, faith is that which helps you see beyond the walls into the supernatural. Faith is that which unlocks the potential that God has placed in you by his spirit. We need faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need faith in our life. So we get the word of God. We get a prophetic word. It's like a seed planted in our imagination. Well, can I tell you, the devil can't stand that. So what does the devil do? He wants to plant seeds of fear and plant seeds of doubt. He wants to plant lies. See, my, my son, Haston, and all you know Haston, he's, he's what you would call someone, a young boy who has a hyperactive imagination. My son, I'm telling you, he has this great imagination. But for my son, it's his greatest gift, but also his worst enemy. Because the same gift that God has placed in him 
to do incredible things is the same gift that the enemy wants to exploit to bring fear. See, my son is 11 years old, but his hyperactive imagination, he still thinks there's things in his closet. He still thinks there's a boogeyman under his bed. Hello, somebody. Like, oh, man, what a weird kid. No, no, no. You think weird things, too, because you have an imagination. And if your imagination is not kept captive by the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then your imagination remains susceptible to the lies, the fears, the doubts that the enemy tries to plant into your life. So that's why it says, look, you got to hold every thought captive because your imagination is the seedbed of faith to see beyond your current situation and walk in the destiny and the purposes of God. Come on. Don't let, don't let your mind just run away with itself. You have the authority by Christ. You have the authority by the Holy Spirit. You have the authority and the power to hold every thought captive and bring it under subjection to the word of God. Let's do a review real quick. You ready? Are you guys ready? The six adjustments. What's the first adjustment? The power of repentance. Second adjustment. The process of renewal. The, the, third, the third adjustment. Everyone's favorite one. The fourth adjustment. Discipline the body. But the fifth adjustment is the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says of the person of the Holy Spirit that he is to lead us and guide us in all things. The role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to be the great influencer, to influence us in all things. In Titus chapter 3, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. This is amazing. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Friends, there is a role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life to wash our mind and to cleanse our mind. He leads us and he guides us. He puts our thought life in check. And there's a lot of things that I've thought and the Holy Spirit's like, mm-mm. I'm like, well, not, well, why not? He said, mm mm. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. So we have to allow, friends, that means we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do his job in our life and in our mind. Friends, there's times where I'll, I'm telling you, there are times where I've had to make a, make a decision to say, Holy Spirit, what about this? Holy Spirit, I need your help in this because my, my, I got some stinking thinking right now. And the role that the Holy Spirit plays to help renew my mind. The Holy Spirit gives us a completely different way of thinking. Can I tell you why? Did you know that you don't know the mind of God? You don't. I wish we did. We don't know why God does things. We don't know what God's thinking right now. But you know who does? The Holy Spirit. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit, are you ready for this? Is to actually interpret and translate the thoughts of God concerning us. 
See, the devil wants to interpret and translate his thoughts towards you constantly. And he uses people. Anybody here ever meet somebody that was used by the devil to speak certain things over your life? Now, if the devil can use people to speak certain things over your life, can't God use the Holy Spirit to speak things over your life? Come on. See, God has a th certain thought towards you. And so one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to interpret and translate that thought, the thoughts that God has toward us, and even the thoughts in the Word of God toward us to our lives. But can I give you one more? Oh, this is the secret sauce. I like this. This is better than Chick-fil-A sauce right here. You ready? Anybody eat at Chick-fil-A here yet? Is it open yet on Oahu? Is it open yet? Is it at the mall yet? Is it, is it open? Anybody, anybody waited in the line to go eat at Chick-fil-A? All right. Jesus help you. Was it long? Was it, the question is, was it worth it? That's the question. Was it worth it? Pastor, I got my Polynesian sauce. It's like, what makes that Polynesian? I just, there's nothing in there that's Polynesian one bit. I just got to let you know. Anyways, we're moving on. Can I tell you something? We are unapologetically spirit-filled. You say, well, Pastor, that's just weirdness. No, let me tell you, let me, let me help you understand something. I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we are a church that believes in the power of speaking in tongues. That it is not a past experience. It is relevant for today and it empowers the believer. And what we see very clearly in 1 Corinthians 14. This is powerful. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. I want you to get your Bibles, open it up, and I want you to actually underline this because this is imperative for you. Now, the reason why a lot of people misunderstand the gift of tongues is because they don't realize that tongues is actually multifaceted. It's multifaceted. It's not one-dimensional. It's multifaceted. That means there's, there's multiple aspects of tongues that's, uh, that's applicable to our life. And what we see here in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, it says, For if I pray, this is wild, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, <laughs> But my understanding or my mind is unfruitful. That means that there is a language, there is a gift, there is a prayer language which God has provided to you by his spirit to bypass the limitations of your own understanding. See, one of my problems is this. I pray what I see and what I experience and what I know. I'll say that again. I pray what I see, what I experience, and what I know. But sometimes I don't see right, I don't experience everything right, and I don't know right. So there's actually limitations to my prayer life. So what happens is this. The Holy Spirit bypasses through the gift of tongues, actually bypasses the limitations of my understanding. So sometimes my understanding, which limits my prayer life, Come on. Some of you have been in your, in your understanding. You've been praying for a certain spouse or a certain person to become your spouse. And the Holy Spirit's like, mm, ain't the one. And you're praying something that is in direct conflict with what the Holy Spirit wants for you or has for you. But I realized the limitations of my own understanding and that God provided a way for me to pray in the Holy Spirit that actually bypasses the limitations of my understanding. And guess, are you ready for this? gets me in tandem with the will of God by praying with the Holy Spirit. 
Meaning this, that the Holy Spirit's actually praying through me. The Bible says this, that in my weakness here, when I don't know what to pray because I'm weak in this, when I don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays through me with utterances and groans that I don't understand. You know why? It's so that your stinking thinking don't get in the way of the will of God. That's why the Bible says, I will pray with my spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. It's both and. Isn't that amazing, though, that we have a prayer language where we can pray in tandem with the person of the Holy Spirit, and he prays in us and through us so that we can better align with the will of God. So that my prayers are no longer hindered by the limitations of my understanding. I don't know about you, but I love that gift. Can I just tell you right now? Let me give you the last adjustment. Are you ready? So we realize that we have to have the adjustment of the Holy Spirit in our life. But the last adjustment, number six, the worship team, if you'll come, is the reset. The reset. You know, I have, I have fixed thinking. Growing up in the culture that I was raised in, seeing things, seeing life from a specific perspective. I'm a, little, I'm a little hodgepodge because I'm Italian, yet I was born and raised in Hawaii, and so I'm a little messed up. Because I absolutely love pasta, but my favorite food is lao lao. I'm just letting you know. It's just... I'm raised in this specific culture, and can I tell you the culture in which I was raised in has developed within me a mindset. I see life a certain way. And because I see life a certain way, I experience that life in a specific way. And I realize that I can have such a fixed way of thinking that until I get a reset, I'll continue to think the way I've always thought. Now, I'm not saying living in Hawaii is a bad thing. But friends, we are, we are all, listen, we're all tied in to that which surrounds us, the surroundings that are there, and the good things and the bad things. And you see, can I tell you something? I, and I know this may sound cliche, but we don't live in the realm of earth. We live in the kingdom of heaven. And until I can fix the way I think, until I can set my mind on a new way of thinking, I'll never see that which God has for me fulfilled. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusted you. Can I say that again? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The Hebrew word there for the word stayed is the word samach. Let me tell you why I love that word. It means to lean on, to lay upon, to rest, to support, to uphold. 
But the reason I love that word, samach, so much is because the word picture, Hebrew, Hebrew always, the thing I love about Hebrew is it gives you these incredible, magnificent word pictures. And it's just as someone would lay upon a bed that would carry all of their weight, every part of their life, every part of their essence would be on that, that bed. Yeah, the Bible says to cast all our cares on him because he cares for you. The Bible has the audacity to instruct us, be anxious about nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplications, make your requests known to God. And the God of all peace, the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your heart. It means to put everything that I am on Christ. It means to set my gaze, set my mind on Christ, to fix my mind. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Did you know that tomorrow morning you can wake up and you can fix your eyes on Jesus? The Bible says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. My mindset, my mind needs to be set on Christ. I don't, I don't know if you're with me, but maybe, maybe you're here this morning. You say, Pastor, I am. My thought life is consumed by so many things. And I don't even, I don't even know. You're preaching this word. I don't even know how I'm going to implement this word into my life because maybe some of you, there's so much trauma and so much pain that you still can't see yourself on the other side of what you're currently facing. But can I tell you right now that God is able to heal you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to kcoahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.